Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Philippians, chapter 3. And we'll begin reading at verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, of who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or I have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. This is the word of the Lord. Was Paul a new Christian when he said this? No. Some estimate that he'd been a believer for 30 years by the time he wrote this, maybe 20 years. We know he'd suffered. He planted churches. He wrote 12 epistles. This is not the testimony of a new convert. This is the testimony of a man in prison for the gospel. He's writing a New Testament epistle from prison. And this is his life testimony, what I was, what I am pursuing. I want us to look at the reason he gave for living and see six things that marked his attitude. First of all, he says something very important. Three things mark true believers. Three things. Don't forget them. They worship God by the Spirit. They're worshipers. They worship by the Spirit. I don't know if you've worshiped yet this morning. You sing, you breathe, you're here. Hopefully you worshiped. Two believers are worshipers. Two, they glory in Christ. Their boast is Christ. Galatians says, let no man boast in anything but Christ who was crucified. Their boast is in Christ. Thirdly, they put no confidence in fleshly accomplishments. 
And he named seven things that he used to rely upon to give him a status with God. Seven things. He was a self-righteous man. He was a trained Jew, a brilliant mind, had a brilliant tutor named Gamaliel. He was a brilliantly trained Jewish mind that even some believe could have been a part of the Sanhedrin, which was 70 members that ruled Israel. We know he was a Pharisee, the strictest, most conservative right-wing religion of the day. And he said, I used to rely on these seven things. I was circumcised the eighth day. That means a legitimate Jewish boy, eighth day. My parents prescribed the law all the way. Timothy had to be circumcised later on in his life to do Jewish evangelism. But Paul said, no, I was treated like an authentic Jewish boy. Two, I'm of the stock of Israel, meaning that my mother did marry a Gentile like Lois and Eunice. They had a Gentile Greek father for Timothy, but a Jewish mother. Paul said, oh, no, no, my parents weren't mixed. They were both Jewish. I'm of the stock of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. That's where I got my name, Saul. Saul, the first king of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was the boundaries for the city of Jerusalem, a prestigious uh, tribe among all the tribes where the city of Jerusalem is, where the first king came from. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning I had Hebrew language as my first language. I had Hebrew parents. I had Hebrew training. I was bar mitzvah. I grew up in the law. You're talking about a thoroughbred, dyed-in-the-wool Jewish boy, Pharisee. I was as strict as they come. I believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't. I believed in angels. They didn't. I believed in all the Old Testament, not the Sadducees. See, I cut it straight. I grew up conservative theologically. I am the right. I've always been on the right. And besides that, nobody was more devoted to Judaism than me, for I pursued Christians even to their death. I was at the stoning of Stephen and never raised a hand to rescue him. I, they put his garments at my feet, and I was saying, yes, down, killing, killing, Acts chapter 7. I've got the blood of the church on my hands. Don't talk to me about being devout. And then he says, blameless before the law. That is in Pharisaical law-keeping. You can't find one Sabbath that I worked. You can't find one piece of bacon in my fridge. You can't find any misstep in my whole legal performance. And he said, guess what? I count it all but rubbish and absolute waste because I had all of that, but I didn't have Christ. I was religious to my fingernails, but I was going to hell. I had all of this, but I didn't have Christ. What a, so he said, I've learned to abandon all confidence in what I used to rely on, and I've moved all my confidence over here to Christ himself. And then he says, just in six great points, he said, let me tell you what I live for now that I've abandoned my hope in this. That there's six things that guard me. You could find more or less, but I just, to me, it jumped off the page. He said, let me tell you the reason I'm living. The first thing he says is verse 10. And it's a stunning verse in a way. When he says, I want to know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. To know Jesus Christ increasingly. I'd like to ask you this. 
Are you knowing Christ increasingly? I'm afraid we use this kind of language. Yeah, I know Christ. Yeah, okay. What are you talking about? I met him 40 years ago. Yeah? Are you growing in this love for him? Is it an increasing knowledge, an increasing knowledge that there's a constant conforming to him? I, I, I can't get enough of him. I keep searching him out. The treasures of God are hid in him. And I'm in pursuit of knowing Christ, of knowing Christ. Wait, wait. What, all you needed to do is meet your girlfriend, give her a good night kiss, and then you didn't want to know anymore. I mean, I've been living with a woman nearly 52 years. I still don't know her like I think I do. But I haven't got tired of knowing her. And it keeps growing, 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 growing. I think what Paul is saying, I'm driven, I'm driven to know Christ. And I'm afraid that too often we have plateaued and we are not knowing more about Christ. You remember what he said? He prayed for the church in Ephesus. And he said this, I bend my knee to God the Father and I am praying that he will give you a spirit of illumination and enlightenment so that you may know Christ better. There's three things I want you to know about this Christ. I want you to know the hope you have in Christ. I want you to know the riches you have in Christ. And I want you to know the power of Christ's resurrection at work in you. I'm praying that you may know it because you're saved, but you don't know it very well. You're saved, you're going to heaven, and you've been setting on the beginning knowledge for 30 years, but you can't say you're really knowing better this year. You camp somewhere. You park somewhere. It's no longer the burning ambition. Oh, you went to school. You got more knowledge. You know more about church. You know a lot about a lot of other things, but he's no longer the attraction. He's no longer, you're no longer the understudy, the under, I want to know him better. I want to know him better. Listen to what the songwriter said, O Christ, thou art the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. The streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. There to an ocean's fullness, Thy love and grace expand where glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. I will drink more. Did you know, hear me, hear me, you could spend the first billion years of eternity and you will have only touched the edge of knowing Christ. He's the unfathomable depth and how quickly some of us have stopped pursuing him. You can know him photographically if you look at the four portraits of him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can know him doctrinally in the epistles. And you can know him experientially in prayer. I want to know Christ. Do you know him initially? The purpose of eternal life is knowing him. Then he goes on and says, in qualifying that, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And I certainly want to know that. But I think what we tend to do, we're thinking of our physical resurrection. And he'll get to that in verse 11. We all want to know that. That'd be wonderful. But I don't believe that's what he's talking about. I want to know the power of his resurrection at work in me now. Because according to Ephesians, he said, I'm praying that you will be experiencing the power that raised Christ from the dead. I want that power to be being experienced in your present Christian life. 
It's the power that was demonstrated at regeneration when he quickened you, made you alive towards God, so he knows that he can make a dead man live. But it's the same power at work in the Christian life. Is it growing in you? Or do you still have the same old habits? Do you still have the same old thinking? Do you still have the same excuses for why you can't? Why I can't? Why? There's no power. Oh, yes, there's all the power in the world if you'll only access it. It's there. Have you cut it off? Are you grieving the Spirit of God? Are you quenching the Spirit of God? Are you abiding and depending upon Christ? It's all in your area. The power is there. Are you plugged in? Are you experiencing? Paul said, I want to experience this. I see some Christians, they're, they're stumbling and rehearsing the same stuff. If you've been around them, they've got the same excuses, the same hang-ups, the same have. What is going on? When does the fruit of the Spirit replace a cussing mouth? When does the fruit of the Spirit replace lust with looking on no one to envy, to be jealous, or to lust? When does greed die and generosity take over? When does hate drop and love becomes prevailing? I've been reading through John 13 through 17 over and over. This is my command that you love one another. But before that, he says, if you obey me, you will keep my command. And, and many places, it's a singular command, and the command means you will love one another, and some of you don't love one another very much. Let me ask you this. Is this a safe church to come to if you're hurting? If they sat next to you, would it be safe? I just heard a lecture by Bill Hybels, and he's telling about one of his associates went to the funeral of his granddaughter that died at six and had to travel to that place. And he went to church that Sunday before the funeral, met together, and, and Bill just simply asked him, said, did anybody reach out to you? He said, no one hardly shook my hand. What do you mean, reach out to me? He said, well, didn't anyone pray with you? Uh, did anyone try to comfort you? He said, oh, no. I seldom find that at church. You don't go to church to find people who are interested in you. You go to church to hear the sermon, give an offering, and get out as quick as you can. What a farce. What a joke. They just finished a $10 million building. And you know what it's for? They used to have a clothing pantry, a food pantry, and a clothing distribution out of their church. But up by Chicago, maybe you don't know, it gets cold. It actually snows up there. And he said many of the poor would stand in line for an hour in the snow, waiting for a handout. He told the church, it's not right to treat the poor that way. So they built a $10 million building, and now it's just giving them a bag full of groceries. They set up a grocery store where they walk through, help themselves, and they get to have a cup of coffee and get out of the cold. Why in the world should you care, Bill? Because God cares. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Third thing I want to know, and, and I don't know that I've wanted to sign up for this, and I'm, I'm kind of praying about it. I want to know him in the fellowship, the partnership of his sufferings. What is that? And I don't know that we could get anyone to sign up today. Does this mean to rehearse Calvary? 
Does this mean I want to go to the cross? Does this mean that as in the Philippines and other uh, strong Catholic countries, we act out the crucifixion and uh, we drag through the street a man that poses to be crucified? Is that we reenact the crucifixion like a Mel Gibson film? Look, look with me, Colossians. It's the next book over from Philippians, Colossians. Look at this. An astounding verse, 124, 124. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Now, is that not astounding? I rejoice that you're causing me so much pain. I rejoice for all the suffering I've been allowed to go through to reach you. Quite an attitude, isn't it? Then he says, and in my flesh... I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. You see that verse? I am filling up, Paul, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for who? Who? Now, Christ is dead. Christ is risen. Christ is in heaven. But Paul is saying there are still leftover sufferings Christ is going through on behalf of his church, and I am filling up those afflictions. I am glad to suffer on your behalf because I'm suffering on behalf of Christ on the behalf of his church. Nothing could be more discouraging than trying to please everybody enough to keep them coming to this church. Have no problems, have no challenges, have no financial needs, have no building programs. In 45 years, let me tell you, I've been through a few seasons in this church. There's been times we were down. There's times the tide was out. There were times the numbers left. There were times the offerings were abounding. There were times all the seasons, seasoned, this, come. I am just amazed at how many church shoppers there are that will never weather a storm with a church. Because it's what can you do for me, not what will I do for you. I am not going to suffer with the church of Christ. Maybe valley's not worth your spit. But you better get into one of Christ's churches. He seems to be good for every season. He's good even when we live through scandal. He's good even when finances are low. He He's good even when the pastor acts a bit boring and lousy. He's good for all seasons. But this is the church shopping day. You talk to some people. I've talked to people. They say, we go to this church for the youth group. We go to this church for this. And we go here for Sunday because we like the preaching. Do you support any of them? No, we critique all of them. No, no, Paul said, I want to know Christ, and I'm willing to suffer about what he suffers. Have you ever cried over the city you live in? Like Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Have you ever cried over a neighbor that you know is perishing, going to hell, and got lit, stayed drunk all last night, and has no hope for the future, would it ever cause you to weep for them? Or is that asking too much? Or would you ever feel like when you're helping someone, I just fed Jesus today. I just helped to clothe Jesus today. I, I want to know Jesus in the power of his resurrection, but please, by all means, don't introduce me to the suffering I, that comes with being identified with Christ. 
I tell you, Americans, we have had uh, just, we've been coasting for years. It's cost little to know Christ in this country. What if it gets more expensive? Will you still claim him? Will you still go public? Will you keep giving if you lose a tax credit? I want to know Christ. I even want the fellowship that comes with suffering with him and his cause. Listen to what these verses say. If one member suffers, the rest will criticize. Well, you wouldn't do that. If one member suffers, we all suffer. Our people have been visiting Walter Anderson, hoping that God spares us life. We got a Tony and Gary we're holding in prayer. We felt the loss of a Sandy Burroughs last week. People, hey, haven't seen Sandy in a long time. Who knows? Phyllis is there. The Burroughs, Jacob and Sylvia, others. If you're in pain, can you feel the pain? Or you say, I don't go to church to suffer. I'm not in the body to suffer. I'm an American. I can't wait to get home and see another Dad Nabbit ball game. That really makes my life whether the Warriors win or not. They've been winning despite their terrible playing. Paul says, no, I want to know him. I want to know him. And until you're willing to suffer with him in his church, his church often is suffering. Not just persecution, but in liberal, worldly, America, Christianity. Sometimes you have to bear the hard seasons. You have to stand. You know, when, is it, when are we in the good season? Preach the word in season and out. Would you tell me what season we're in? I'm in the now season, whatever that is. You know what? This year, we're going to challenge many of you to a five-hour-a-week Christian commitment. This will be your Christian commitment each week. Are you ready? I want to stretch you for a new year. I've got four things, but let me give you three things we would like to see everyone do. We were at a church, and they were talking about a five-hour commitment each week. And sometimes they man, they've got something going every night, and I don't know. Wait, just three things. Let's see if I can get three. One, two, three things. Why don't you commit yourself to show up on Sunday for the vertical worship experience? Don't even let a Super Bowl keep you home. The game will be after the service. You need to be with God's people. Okay. Two, get into a small group for horizontal fellowship of the body of Christ. You need to get into a small group. And if you don't, tell us why you're not. Don't ever, don't ever say we're unfriendly again if you refuse to be part of the friendly group. You're unfriendly, not us. We want you. Thirdly, now this is revolutionary. Get ready. Serve at least in one ministry every week. At least an hour. Could you squeeze it in? Could you squeeze God in for a five-hour week? And then if you want to be drastic, support us. <laughs> Four S's. It's brilliant. I've wrestled with it for years. Supporters, small group, serve Sunday. Is that very hard? That's all we're trying to get out of a lot of you in this church who give less than $100 a year, attend about 20 times a year, and don't serve anywhere. Why? You're not knowing him. It's going to stunt your growth. 
You can't know a Christ and be that passive. I want to know Christ progressively, increasingly. Not I just met him. I want to know him. I want to know him, the greatest person in all of history. I want to pursue knowing him. I count everything else a waste of my time. It's rubbish. I count it absolute waste. And then I want to know him. I want to know his power in the resurrection. I want to know even the suffering identified with him. And then he goes on. Then he says in verse 12, something astounding. I will never live as though I have arrived. I will never live as though I have arrived. And look at that, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. but I press on to make it my own because Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I love this in Paul. I have not arrived. Have you? Have you? That's why Christianity has become boring to you. It's why you've lost the zeal. It's you got a little knowledge, maybe. I went to school with the guys that had a lot of knowledge, but they quit knowing him. It shows up in the temperament, shows up in the lack of fruit, showed up in the lack of prayer, showed up in the cranky spirit, shows up a thousand different ways. It, I tell you, people who know Christ, who are growing in Christ, who were falling more in love with him every day, that he's the greatest thing. He gets sweeter day by day. Will you say he gets sweeter every day? I got closer, let's say, last year. I'm close. I don't know that I got closer to him last year. You could be in church and not be growing and knowing him. You might be full of church and not full of Christ. A lot of preachers backslide, too, and they backslide while preaching every Sunday because all they do is get up sermons. They quit knowing Christ. They know all about what's wrong with the church, but they know little about how wonderful he is. I've never found any problems to fix in Jesus. He's the problem fixer. He's the problem fixer. I, I think of this... Uh, I'm not already perfected. I've not already laid hold of everything for which Christ laid hold of me. The old King James, I've not apprehended everything for which I was apprehended. He sees me on the Damascus Road, but I haven't laid hold of everything for which he laid hold of me. There's much more to know about him. And I, I must say there are different groups uh, when you look at different uh, Christians and, and different Christian traditions, let me tell you, you see some groups, let's say they say this, as soon as you get saved, you get it all. Okay, wonderful. And I think of a Lewis Chafer, he names 33 things you get at the moment you're saved. And it's magnificent how he developed that and it, and it's all true, positional truth. I'm complete in Christ. I've been baptized into Christ, and I'm indwelt by Christ. I have eternal life. And on, oh, no, it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And so you get some groups that we are all there. We've all got it. And zeal, hunger, wanting to know Christ better. No, no, you already know him. You already got him. There's not anything more to pursue. And throughout history, you would have groups that would spring up, revival or reformation, and all of a sudden this new thirst, this new pursuit of God would take place. And you'd have revivals in history, and all of a sudden those who uh, professed to know him, uh, their eyes were enlightened, and truths just came off the pages of the Bible. You know, just the Bible is ink and paper. It's not worth a, a dime unless the Spirit of God makes it alive. 
did. Read it all day. The Jews did. The rabbis did. They still do. No illumination. No Christ. Because they read it with a veil over their eyes. Only when the veil is removed in Christ can you start seeing what all God intends for us to know. And so Paul says, I, I haven't arrived, and I sort of miss uh, some of the uh, traditions that I came out of. To this extent, a lot of times at church, you'll look at people and say, are all of these people at the same stage? Is everybody in this place walking in the Spirit? And, and the fruit is abounding. And they're abounding in prayer. Uh, they're the most loving people. You can't wait to talk to them. They just have this overflowing love, this overflowing joy. And uh, we used to say it's joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory. And when you see them, say, it ain't full of glory. And it ain't joy unspeakable. What is it? It's miserable. It's hard to be a Christian. And I'm rather bored at the thought. And just think of spending all your life in church thinking that's what it is. Where is the power of the resurrection on display? Where is the power of the fruit of the Spirit? And Paul says, I've not arrived. I've not arrived. I'm hungry still. I really want to know him better. I want to know him better. Uh, oh, just because I could define a few doctrines don't mean I've, re I've arrived. This man wrote the book of Romans. Don't edit him. He knows. But I have this passion to know of this Christ more and more and more. And I shall run to the grave wanting to know him more. And I'm longing for the day he resurrects my body. And I shall know of him more and more as the ages roll on. He never is the exhausted subject. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Then he goes on. And he says, uh, I am going to do something in this pursuit. This is an amazing thing. Look at what he says. But one thing I do, and by the way, I love people like this. They say all great leaders are people of one thing. They are focused on one thing. They've got their purpose. They've got their ambition. And there's some people that have dabbled in everything. Uh, they're good at everything and not outstanding at anything. But man, they know this. They know that. They know this. They know that. One day they're this. One day they're that. One day they're this. One day they're that. What are you about? What are you living for? What is the passion of your life? Well, I'll add in church once a week. In other words, you're a nominal Christian. You don't even have the real disease. I'll just plug in God once a week. Oh, oh, it's rubbish. You don't know him. If you ever tasted of him, you'd want to know more about him. He's wonderful. He's marvelous. But he says, you know, one thing I'm going to do, I'm going to forget what's behind. I'm no longer clinging to my Jewishness. I'm no longer claiming my education. I'm no longer claiming my past position, my class, uh, my past advantages, my all that. I'm not doing that. And I think it's a great lesson for us. There's a great line. Don't forget what you should remember and stop remembering those things you ought to forget. You know, don't forget what you ought to remember. Deuteronomy 4, don't forget how I led you through the wilderness. Don't forget how I delivered you. Don't forget your salvation. We take the Lord's Supper in remembrance of me. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. On the other hand, you need to forget some of those things that happened to you in 2016. I love what Joseph did down in Egypt. By the time his father Jacob met his boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, 
It's an amazing thing. Names in the Bible had meaning. And now, you know the story of Joseph. His brothers all sell him out, want to kill him. Reuben talks him into saying, let's just throw him in a pit. And by the time Reuben gets back from an errand, they've sold him to the Ishmaelites who took him down to Egypt, sell him to Potiphar. Potiphar's wife frames him, throws him in prison, was in prison for years, forgotten by the baker and the butler, finally interprets Pharaoh's dream, finally is rescued from prison, finally given a promotion, becomes second in command, all of this, and a famine brings his brothers up to Egypt, and they need grain, they need food, and in the midst of this, they're being reconciled. And by the time his old daddy finally gets to see the boy he thought was dead and get to meet his two children, he, he introduces and says, Dad, I want you to meet Ephraim. Son, why did you name him Ephraim? Well, his name means fruitful, Dad. God has made me fruitful down here. Well, what about Manasseh? Oh, Manasseh, his name means to forget. To forget. I'm not rehearsing how my brothers did me. That's not fresh in my memory. I forgot it. Did you know what God said in his word? He cast your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. How can omniscience ever forget anything? You haven't forgiven a person that you don't quit bringing it up. You haven't forgiven if you still bring it up. And so God said, I've got a sea over here. I cast all your sins there. And one old preacher I heard said, and God put a no fishing sign in it. <laughs> you, you can't drag it out. What, need, what do you need to forget about last year? Somebody done done me wrong. Well, you need to go hear Lou Rawls and B.B. They sell millions of songs on somebody done me wrong. That's life. Well, this or not, I kind of got hurt. I got people relocated from this. Well, somebody over didn't do me right. Oh, is that right? Okay. Well, may you get to a church where no one will ever do you wrong. But you're going to be a threat when you join because you might do them wrong. Just the way you look offends. I mean, that's just an allegorical application. Listen to what he says. Laying aside the weight and the sin which has hindered you from running so well. Lay it aside. Look to Jesus. Listen to Galatians 4, 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? What made you turn back? What made you turn off the path, you Galatians? Get back. Get back. Forget those things that are behind. Don't go back. Don't go back. You must go forward. You must go forward. Then his last thing, sixthly, I will stretch myself to achieve the calling for which God called me. I, will, I press on. It, he's really taking an athletic, I forget what's behind, and I'm straining forward. It's an athletic term. It means to just stretch like that, and you're in full stride as a runner. And I'm seeing the goal. I'm stretching myself. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward or the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm pressing on. You remember when you sing song? I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm finding every day. I'm pressing on. And what's amazing, he says in verse 15, this is how mature believers think. This is the mature way to think. 
I want to know Christ. I want to know his resurrection power now. I want to suffer with whatever promotes Christ now. I want to be identified. I want to be like Moses. I would rather suffer with the children of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a moment. Pharaoh's house looks boring if my people are slaves. I will do something to help them out. Martin Luther King said that when he was at Boston College and get, becoming a lawyer. And he said, I'm never going back to Dixie. I'm never going back. He's dating a white girl up in Boston. Read The Sound of the Last Trumpet by Stephen Oates, the biography of Martin Luther King, Jr. So I'm staying north. I could date whoever I want. I go to any restaurant I want. I ain't going back to Georgia. I'm not going to go back to Mississippi. I'm tired of segregation. And God said, so you got educated so you could abandon your people. You got educated so you could forget you were ever abused. I've seen people in church who've been forgiven much who have become worthless Pharisees instead of helping hands. They have no sympathy for those who've committed the same sins they committed because they become too self-righteous. And so the church goes with a lack of understanding. Our young people abandon us left and right. Says, You're a bunch of old self-righteous Pharisees that have got too old to party anyway. Where is somebody that understands our struggle? Surely it ought to be here. Are you a loving Christian? Are you growing in likeness to Christ? Do you know him? Do you want to know him better? I'd make that my goal this year. I want to know him. His resurrection. His suffering. I'm not, I'm going to start living like I don't, I've not arrived. I've got to get over this conceited stance I give myself. Most of us are educated beyond our obedience. We know a lot more than we're doing. If you would just do what you've been told, what a difference it would make this year. This is the reason for living. Forget the past, the bad things. Remember the things God's done for you. And then run, run, run. Don't become Rip Van Winkle. Don't go to sleep. It's no time to sleep. It's time to wake up. It's the end is nearer than any of us dream. It'd be a miracle if you're alive at the end of 2017. You've been promised days, not years. The Bible says, teach us to number our days. It never says our years. How many days do you have left? And what will you be doing should God cut you off? Will you be in pursuit of knowing him? I have to say this. I, as I was praying about this, I think 2016, I felt a whole lot like Martha that spent more time in the kitchen than I did at his feet. I worried about our economics, our budget. We're proposing a new budget. We've cut 400, I don't know, four to $500,000. I don't like red ink. I'm a conservative. I don't like to think I spend what I don't have. Fretted about this. Fretted about the scandal we lived through. Fretted about this and that. And you know what I found out? I was spending more time cleaning pots and pans in the kitchen than I was sitting at his feet. And I only find strength to work for him only after I've taken time to worship him. I can't work for a God I don't worship. I can't work for a God I will not worship. I can't work for a God 
that I'm not finding time to worship. And I find out people, I don't have time to pray. That's why you don't have time for power. I don't have time to pray. That's why you don't have time for results. I don't have time to pray. That's why you're not seeing your oikos saved. Because we've let busyness and all of our homes have become entertainment centers. I'm amazed. Carol and I don't need to go out of that house. But what? We've got an up-to-date TV. We don't need anything. Just put on the TV. We got Netflix. Just helps our spiritual life, I can't tell you. <laughs> YouTube. I mean, we're, we're, why go out? All it is is grandchildren. You can see a movie and passively eat popcorn and watch life pass you by. If I get involved with people, it takes time. And people are messy. And people are precious. And who cares unless I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's more interested in people than my entertainment. May we grow this year in Christ. Our Father, we thank you that we've been apprehended, that you seized us. We were going to hell and enemy territory and would have perished there, but you seized us. You apprehended us. I want to know you, Lord Jesus. I don't want to hang out in the kitchen. I want to be Mary who found a reason. Just think, Jesus is going to the cross in a few days, and all Martha could say, well, I did the dishes for him, and Mary could say, but I wept at his feet, and I held his feet, and I told him I loved him while I could see him, and while I could touch him, he's gone. And the dishes are still there. My priorities were all messed up. Help us who claim to know you, Father, to know you better this year and to sit at your feet. Then we could rise from your feet and do the work you've called us to do. Please, we want to know you. We want to know you better. Please grant us that request. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand. <laughs>